0: At the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company.
1: We're slammed today, Candy. We're slammed. Like any other day, I think we do an hour on this headline. 45 million grasshoppers swarmed Las Vegas in 2019. Now we know why. But we just don't have the time today. 45
2: million! How are you going to hold out on me like that? I live through it. You live through it. You're going to make the people wait? Yes. What what are we supposed to do? Get on our phones and Google
1: it? Yes, yes. Look it up. It's in our grab bag, and here's a tease way ahead. It's in our grab bag, two hours and 45 minutes from now.
0: It's time for The Three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA.
1: You know, a lot of what we do... I hope we don't do this as much as uh, some others, but a lot of what we do is come on the air. Uh, We're critical. We, uh, you know, we shack the fool. We're hammering on players, going after, you know, college athletes. I wanted to do my intense Hunter Dickinson rant about missing a bunch of short shots last night, but I haven't done it yet. Maybe I won't do it. Maybe I won't do it because Russell Westbrook gave us a freaking tongue lashing and— It wasn't specifically at URI. It was at Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. is doing his job, right? He's making $10 million a year. And, frankly, if he gets athletes to react to what he's saying, that's like bonus time. But is there something deeper here? Here's what Stephen A. was saying about Westbrook and, again, the accumulation of the numbers and triple doubles, and yet he's on a team, once again, that isn't very good.
3: Westbrook's numbers last night mean absolutely nothing to me because – Even though that's great numbers, that's what Westbrook can do. We all know this. He's a former league MVP. He's the most athletic point guard we have ever seen in NBA history. You've played with some great, great players over the years. Some talent. And not a single title to show for it.
1: Okay. Too harsh? Or just spitting facts?
2: He's been to a finals. And last I checked... I don't think Sam Presti consulted him when he traded James Harden to Houston. So I'm not sure that uh, Stephen A. is giving you the full context on that one.
1: Uh, Westbrook responded. uh, Pretty quick bite that we saw up on the internet's Around two minutes, here's a piece of it. And basically Westbrook's like, I I don't care, but I care, but
3: I don't care. But one thing I won't won't allow to happen anymore is let people create narrative because um, I lay it on the line every night. Um, and I use my platform to be able to help uh, people all across the world. Um, and nobody can take that away from me. Um, I've been blessed to be able to uh, have a platform to do it. And like I said before, a championship don't don't change my life. Um, I'm happy. Um, I, I I was a champion once I made it to the NBA. Like I grew up in the streets. Uh, I'm a champion. Like nobody can, I don't have to be an NBA champion. I, I know many people that got NBA champions that's miserable, have done nothing uh, for their community, have done nothing for uh, the people in, in our world. And uh, for me, man, my legacy, like I like I mentioned before, is not based on what I do on this court. Um, I'm not going to play basketball my whole life. My legacy is what I do um, off the floor, how many people I'm able to impact and inspire along my journey.
1: So, Candy, how do we unpack that? There's a lot in there. Um he was affected by the comments from Stephen A., but he fired back appropriately. Did he actually go overboard by saying, I do a lot more for the community than others do? What do you think? I thought Russell
2: Westbrook actually handled it perfectly because the very first thing that he said was, I'm not going to play into creating these narratives. And then the rest of the answer he gave was an impenetrable answer. Right? Like You can't come back at that if you're Stephen A. Smith because Russell Westbrook basically said, yes, yeah, say what you want about me as a player, Uh, but as a person, I'm good, and I've used this place that I have as an NBA player in order to build up other people. And so what does a championship end up having to do with that? So if you're Russell Westbrook and you want to not let the Stephen A. Smiths of the world get you into a fight, then that's the way you do it.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, we'll play another part of the conversation uh, in the Big Five where he, uh, he went at broadcasters getting on college athletes. So, I don't know. It's an interesting discussion. Stephen A is doing his job. At what point does it become hurtful? I know uh, Westbrook's wife got a little annoyed. She said, uh, how tiring is it to be minding your own business and have notifications pop up on your phone about people being negative and hating on your family? Uh, there are several things wrong with what Stephen A. Smith says here. I mean, she's also framing that a little, a little incorrectly. You're not just some family that no one knows about. Is it fair to say, hey, some of this does come with the career and all the riches? Of course it does. Like There but are a turn- certain set of expectations at that level. You're not some innocent family that's being bashed at home. Come on.
2: Turn the notifications off. Th- that's the other like, thing. Th- like, uh, you are living a life man like you are living a life that very few people get to live you as a very wealthy family living a famous life get to experience things that a lot of people will never get to experience in this life so if you're worried about what the Stephen a smiths of the world say about you then you're probably just taking away from what should be a pretty great life which is kind of what russell westbrook said himself like right. yeah i'm gonna be fine either way
1: all right play Stephen a's comment one more time because um, i want to i I want to see, if it, did it get personal here? Like, I mean, if the wife gets involved in that, did it get personal? they call him a loser, a low-character guy? He's not a winner. He doesn't, have, you know, he doesn't have the gumption, the upbringing.
4: Westbrook's numbers last night mean absolutely nothing to
3: me because even though that's great numbers, that's what Westbrook can do. We all know this. He's a former league MVP. He's the most athletic point guard we have ever seen in NBA history. You've played with some great, great players over the years, some talent. And not a single title to show for it.
1: Okay, they didn't call him a loser. He didn't, again, like I said, they didn't call him low character. You know, poor upbringing, none of that stuff. Your wife is dragging you down. That would get the wife involved, right? Can't believe you have kids. It's distracting you. He didn't say any of that. So, a little bit weird. A little bit weird. But you know, Westbrook responded. We'll see how Stephen A. responds. And it's exactly what ESPN and Stephen A. want when you're making ten mil to get a reaction from a current day player. It's a big deal.
0: Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. These
2: guys get all the credit, though, Allie. Unbelievable heart, toughness. Nobody picked us. Nobody believed in us. That's how we like it. Obviously, we know our next assignment is tough. Their resiliency is unbelievable, Allie, to just continue to stop such a great team like
0: Michigan. It's Joe Esposito talking college basketball on Cofield & Company.
1: There it is, McCronin, in the little engine that could. I never thought UCLA would win. At a high level in basketball again, I mean they barely have a history. Yep, and nobody picked you, nobody believed in you. All right, easy, Mick. I know he's all euphoric, but uh, "us against the world" thing. Eh, whatever. Coaches love doing that. Coaches love doing that, right? Joe Esposito. Coaches love doing you that. Know, gotta, it's us you against you the gotta world.
4: You got to do something. You got to do something. I mean, you got to have something to motivate your team. You got to come up with something. Us against the world, the chip on the shoulder. You know, everybody's got a slogan, a, a something to do with. Even at Cedar Chavez High School, I got the slogan, growth and preparation this year. You got to have something.
1: Okay. I get it. I get it. Maybe I'm still a little bitter with uh, Mick Cronin and his dealings with UNLV, but I'll, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let go of it. Uh, I am happy for the Pac-12. I think it's cool that UCLA is in the Final Four, so that's a good thing. Joe, um, I was disappointed in the way Michigan closed the game last night, and I'm not going to blame the coaches. The players were put in a position to win that game, and they simply could not execute and make shots.
4: Yeah, well, you know, it always comes down to making shots. You know, the game was definitely in hand for them. You thought that when they first took the lead there late in the game, when they, when they got ahead and, and they made that layup inside, you thought the momentum was going to turn. And, and, but the best thing about UCLA is they didn't go away. I mean, they didn't go away. They just kept fighting. They cut, made baskets. You know, they attacked the rim. I mean, just some really nice things late in the game. I and all the credit to them. Uh, UCLA has been playing very, very well. I mean, just think about the teams they've beaten. I mean, they're the only real team in the Final Four that had to go through number one and number two. And uh, it's been interesting, but definitely was a great game. I mean, Michigan was right there. You know, I I never knew how that game was going to go, to be honest with you, because the momentum was in so much UCLA's favor. But the, the real game that was kind of more of a shocker was the USC.
2: And about that game, Joe, there were a lot of people after the way USC manhandled Oregon who said, All right, with the size of the Mobleys, they might be able to give Timmy a little problem, slow him down inside. They didn't slow down a thing. Gonzaga blew him out from the jump.
4: Yeah, you know, it was kind of interesting because when you look at the game, you're thinking, think about these are the three areas I think that really made the difference in the game. First, before we get even to that, our prayers are out to Bart Smith. I haven't heard Burt Smith. I haven't heard the referee what happened. I know he collapsed. Hopefully he's okay. He's one of those great guys in the business, fantastic referee, and I hope that he's okay. Um, The three things in the game that really stood out to me was, number one, USC has the best two-point shooting defense in the country. And Gonzaga shot 50% against them. So that's an area that they really, you know, uh, do well in and won a lot of games with, and and that area hurt them. USC sixth in the country in blocked shots, 5.3 a game. They blocked five five blocked shots a game against Gonzaga last night. Nothing. They didn't block one shot. And then the last thing – USC really made their run, and the two games they played really well, they shot the ball well. Remember, they were 11 for 18 from three against Kansas. They were 10 for 17 against Oregon. And yesterday, four for 15 against Gonzaga. I mean, that really was a difference in the game. Those three areas, in order for them to even have a chance to beat Gonzaga, had to be those areas that they would hit on, the ones that they had success with all year through the tournament. And then right at the end of the you remember, they started off great, 36 15 and right before halftime, they made three baskets in a row, closed off the half. The momentum was going their way, and they kept moving on with that undefeated season. And, and when you look at them being undefeated, there's only three other teams, you know, that were undefeated going to the Final Four. That's 2015 Kentucky, your 1991 UNLV, and 1979 Indiana State. So it's hard to do. It's happened. But hopefully Gonzaga will, uh, you know, do a great job.
2: Yeah, I know you love your stats, Joe. It is now uh, 54 consecutive games that Gonzaga has shot better than 50% from two-point range. Mm. It's it's unbelievable what they've been able to do during that time. The next closest streak is a dozen, I believe. So um, let me ask you something about that perfect record, Joe, because we hear over and over again, every reporter asks Mark Few and asks the kids from Gonzaga, and says, "What do you think about the perfect record? Are you guys talking about it?" And they say, "Nope, nope, we're just focused on the next game." Do you buy that? Do you buy that there is no discussion at all about the fact that this team could do something as historic as going undefeated?
4: I don't buy it. I mean, I think guys talk. I mean, you say the right things to the media the most of the time, but um, I just think that they've got to have that in the back of their mind. They got to be thinking about it. I mean, you know, they're really playing for validity. I mean, that's what they're playing for at this point, because so many people talk about Gonzaga and say, well, they play in a bad league. They don't play anybody all year long, and they always put them down. But, you know, they still have to beat Oklahoma, Creighton, and USC, and that's not the easiest thing to do in the world. Now, those are some teams that are pretty good. So I think they're talking about it. And, you know, when you really think, just think about the whole Gonzaga deal. It's in Spokane, Washington. To build a – and that's a beautiful place. Have you ever been there? It's a beautiful place. And just to think that they can build a powerhouse. We're not talking major cities. We're not talking recruiting all over the place. You're not in New York. You're not in Texas. You're not in Florida. You're talking about Spokane. And what Mark's used in there from 1999 when he started there, every year he's been the head coach. He was assistant first, as you know. Every year he's been the head coach, he's gone to the tournament. Amazing, amazing deal what they've done at Gonzaga and how they've made that into a national power. And don't forget, there's only one other team that's won a national championship that was not since 1990, I guess. 1990 was the last time a non-Power 5 won the national title. And once again, that's your UNLV running Rebels.
2: Talking to our friend Coach Joe Esposito right now on Cofield & Company. Joe, all right, so now it's Gonzaga, it's UCLA. UCLA has already done plenty of giant slaying, largely because uh, we talked to Tracy Murray, the former UCLA great, about this. He does the radio broadcast at UCLA, and he said Mick Cronin finally got this young team to buy in at the defensive end of the floor. It's a different thing with Gonzaga, though. What, What do you expect to see when Gonzaga and UCLA get together?
4: Well, you know, you got to remember now. You know, when you're talking about the two games, I mean, the two best players in the tournament are on Gonzaga. I mean, you argue the three when you look at Timmy. I mean, what he's done. I mean, he's setting himself up for the MVP of this tournament. You know, scoring 23, 10 for 19 shooting, three blocks, five boards, four assists against USC. I mean, that's an unbelievable night. I'm sure halftime he's probably selling popcorn too. Um, You know, Kispert's another great player. You know, he's their ear scoring leader. I mean, they've got so much of talent. And then don't forget about Suggs. I mean, he's he's one of the best players out there. The freshman for sure. He was two assists, I guess, short of a triple double. Um, you know, when you're looking at the game, what UCLA is going to have to try to do is slow them down. I mean, that's their deal. They're 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 a slow you down type team, and they want to get in a fist fight with fifth fight with you. They want to fight. They want to grind. They want to pound. And that's McConaughey how he's been forever. I mean, I remember having the scouts when I was at Memphis, and he was at Cincinnati. And when you scouted that team, you know you were going to get into a fight with them. It's going to be a battle. You're going to be sore after the game. And those are the type of things that are going to happen in that game. Um, you know, Gonzaga's got a lot of momentum. You know, once again, they got a lot of momentum. They got two lottery picks on their team. They got some really good players inside. They got good size inside. They're playing for an awful lot. Um, you know, they're the best two point shooting team in the country. And they got talent. They got depth. And I really, you know, think it's going to be a hard, hard matchup for UCLA now. You can get some things out of your guys at UCLA, and they've got some talent. The Kentucky transfer, I mean, uh, you know he's a heck of a player. Twenty-eight points against Michigan. He's averaging twenty-one a game. I think they're really going to have to do a good job of slowing the game down, getting into a fist fight. They've got five guys in their team that score ten plus points, and they're going to really have to do a good job of not getting in, you know, getting out of control. Mick's going to have to use his timeouts right. And just think, Mick Cronin, so many people said that he couldn't do it, he wasn't the right hire, he's not a West Coast guy. I remember after his press conference, a buddy of mine was there and said Mick would walk around Westwood. Nobody would know who he was. Well, let me tell you this. Huh. They know who he is now.
1: College basketball insider Joe Spazito of On and Company. Let's talk uh, some issues around college basketball, some stories around college hoops. Uh, when's your guy Chris Beard going to uh, bolt on Texas Tech and take the Texas job, and should he?
4: You know, it's kind, of, it's kind of quiet. You know, you're not hearing a lot about him. Uh-huh. I think the main reason is because April 1st is the day that it will drop that buyout, you know, to $4 million from wherever it is right now. I think it's kind of interesting. You're not hearing from either side of the deal. Um, you know, when you look at the job for Chris Beard, Chris Beard graduated from Texas. He was a GA at Texas for, for Penders. I mean, he's got a love for Texas. Um Granted, he was at Texas Tech as an assistant, and, you know, in all those years with Bobby Knight and Pat Knight, and he's done pretty good things at Texas Tech. I mean, the last two years, I think, have been kind of a disappointing for him after coming off that final four. Um, you know, I, he's a guy that, you know, if he's not playing on that Monday night, at a bad year. He's got great ambition. But, you know, he's the guy for that job. He's the guy for the Texas job. Now, I was at Texas Tech. You know, they, they, they compete. they got great facilities as well. They just built a new basketball facility. But there's something about Texas. I mean, Texas has got the money. Um, I mean, they just – I mean, I, I i don't know if they can pull it off, but I feel like when it's your alma mater knocking and you get that one chance to go back to your alma mater and you see it happening all the time in a lot of places. I mean, look at the Woodson hire in Indiana just now. I and mean, he goes from the NBA to Indiana. You know, going back to your old school, making your old school proud, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. And I think that if you're going to hear something here soon, I know tomorrow's a big day, so you might hear something tomorrow or Friday. Uh,
1: We talked to you last Wednesday. The next day uh, after that, uh, that was Thursday. I can count. I I know days. Uh, Lon Kruger retired. So, you know, I just want from really everyone around college basketball, everyone knows who Lon Kruger is. I just wanted your thoughts on, you know, what he did as a college coach and his legacy.
4: Well, no question. One of the best, one of the all-time great guys. I mean, I – knowing Coach for a long time, the things that he's done, the programs he's been at. And I remember, you know, he was one of the coaches that took five programs to the NCAA tournament, which only happened with two people, him and Tubby Smith, who I worked for for 12 years. And then Rick Pitino just did it, taking Iona. So now there's three of them. Now Lon retires. You know, he's got just a way about him. I don't know anybody in the business that doesn't like Lon Kruger. He's got a pure heart. He's a good man. He does so much for coaches versus cancer. Every time you hear him. I've never heard of anybody tell me the guy swears. I don't think he's ever swore in his life. I mean, he's got great values. I know guys that have worked for him. One of the guys that worked with me the last couple of jobs I had, who Williamson is on his staff there at Oklahoma, Marvin Menzies, worked for Lon Kruger in Vegas. And every time I hear anything about Lon Kruger, it's fantastic. He's a great man. We lose a great ambassador. And that's the thing with some of these old guys retiring. You're losing some really good ambassadors. And he's one of them that put college coaching on the map. He's a great guy. But I'm going to tell you, he's not going to be far removed. Not only is UNLV get his son, you get dad, too, and he's going to be well involved. And, hey, hopefully I can be the one that says, he replaced me at UNLV. I was a special assistant to the head coach, and now he (laughs) is. What a great replacement. I'm going to put it on my resume. And
1: if you're Kevin Kruger, you're cool if your dad is around that much in that capacity, or you're like, hey, i got to carve out my own niche?
4: Well, you know what? Not only is his dad, he was his coach. And and, and they know each other. And when you have a dad relationship at home, when you walk in that co- court, it's a coach-player coach relationship. All right. I mean, you're not looking at him like it's your dad. So I think he's going to love having him around. I think he needs to have him around, to be honest with you. I think it's a great – uh, a great guy to rub things off of him and say, what do you think? because He's been there. He knows the program. He knows how to win. And uh, I think it would be fantastic to have his dad around.
1: Joe, what do you make of what's been going on this week around uh, the UNLV program? A lot of guys going into the transfer portal. We'll get to Bryce Hamilton and his look at the NBA in a couple seconds here. But the early news of the week was David Jenkins Jr. going into the portal. He left the door open, you know, still considering his options. But then a story comes out, Mike Romalo, Las Vegas Sun, is a big contributor on ESPN Las Vegas. He said, hey, there was a big rift. Otzelberger uh, basically went as far as saying, you know what, you're not going to be here next year. I don't enjoy coaching you anymore. What do you make of this? Did it happen? Uh, you know, do you, you have a couple of people who are trying to get at Otzelberger, trying to get at Jenkins? Jenkins then responded, hey, this is false. So it's a mini mess here in Vegas.
4: Well, you know, it's hard to say what, what is true and what's not true. I mean, you know, for the kids' sake, you know, if, if it didn't happen, I'm him responding like that. But also, you know, you don't want other coaches that are, possibly going to look at you thinking that they didn't want you there. I mean, I think, you know, obviously whoever does recruit him and wants him to come, they're going to have to make that call to uh, TJ at, at Iowa State and say, hey, you know, what do you think? What what are the issues? Is any of this true? Um, I don't think Mike Ramal made it up. He probably got it from somewhere. It must have been a reliable source. Um, so I really don't know what's happening there. Maybe it had something to do with um, the playing, the way they played, what he was promised. He got the ball in his hands more. Like, I really don't know exactly what it would be, but um, – you know, it, it's it's sad that some of those kids aren't going to give, you know, Coach Kruger the chance. You know, I think the roster has four guys on it right now. When you look at Nick Blake and Moses Wood, Marvin Coleman, and Reese Brown, I think everybody else is still up in the air. I think the two kids coming in, um, Kamula, Kamula and uh, Gilbert, I think they're a question mark. um, Mbake, what's he going to do? Yep. And then, you know, hearing Bryce Hamilton, um, you know, saying that he's going to, you know, check check the NBA waters. Well, that's all he's going to be doing is checking them because. I don't think he's actually ready for the NBA, and that might be just his way to say, hey, look, I'm probably going to enter the transfer portal, too.
1: In the process of the NBA, what do you think they'll tell him?
4: Well, you know, they, they go through a long long situation where they work them out, and they interview him, they talk to him, and I think, number one, he, he's got to shoot the ball better. I, he can't shoot the ball on the way down, and, and I know firsthand because, you know, I uh, I coached him, and I was around him for a whole year. And, I think one of the things part of his game, he's really good off the dribble. He's great pulling up. He's got good control over his body. I think he does a fantastic job of of playing with balance. I think there's some things that he does that are really well, but he's got to shoot the ball more consistent from the perimeter. I mean, he can't go on those uh, those little spots where he's missing. You know, he's going two for 10, you know, or two for 15 from three or whatever it may be, and he gets in those ruts. He's got to be more consistent. I think he's got to work on his mechanics. I think sometimes you shoot the ball when he's coming down. So, I mean, technical orders is one thing. But i got to say this. The guys that are in the portal, and we mentioned it about Jenkins, if you're going in the portal, I wouldn't have you back. I mean, right. I just wouldn't have you back. When you say you leave the door open, I mean, that puts us in a tough situation. It really does. If you're thinking about leaving, and I talked about this last week, if you're thinking about leaving, then leave. You know, you don't want anybody in your program that was thinking about leaving, waiting for the next date. I've told you this. I'll tell you guys again. I've said this many times on the show. I'm not putting my wife in the transfer portal. I don't want to have other options out there for her. If she's going to go in the transfer portal, then she's got to leave. So the bottom line is you don't want to do that. It's not good for your program. I don't like the way it sounds. And as of today, there's over 1,000 guys in that portal, and it's just crazy. We're going to see a big turnaround this year. The most we've ever seen.
2: Well, you heard it here first. Joe Esposito does not want his wife testing the waters, <laughs> not putting her in the transfer portal. You got that here first from us on Goldfield and Company. We're messing around, of course, Joe. But, uh, you know, Joe. You're it, right.
4: I mean, you're right, though. She's, yeah, a, high, yeah, yeah. she's a high major guard. She's a high <laughs> major guard. I mean, there I don't it know is. what you guys are talking about, but you know I'm a good recruiter. I've been a great recruiter. like, if you just, just, just Google me. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? She's high major. She's going to have Duke calling her, Kentucky calling her. You know, everyone's going to be calling her. I mean, Mick Cronin's going to call her. I mean, it's going to be crazy. So she's not going into portal. She's taking. She's not transferring.
2: What's the right spot for Bryce Hamilton? Would it Because we've seen some of the spots that he's been in here where it feels to us like Bryce Hamilton has felt like the pressure's on his shoulders to go do something. And it's led to some bad shot selection, and some bad habits, and so on. So should he if he doesn't go to the NBA, come back here and be probably one of the lead guys again? Or do you think that he would be better off going to a different
4: program where maybe he is the third or fourth choice? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to say not knowing what Coach Kruger's system he's going to be in. You know, I, I don't know what type of system he's going to run and what his expectations going to be for his guys. But, you know, he needs to be in a program, I believe, where, you know, guys are creating and getting the ball to him He's not doing all the creating. I think he'll be really good in a system that, that gets in the ball and scoring opportunities. You know, a lot of times in UNLV games he catches the ball on a perimeter and he felt like he had to do everything on his own. So I like the idea that you're saying, you know, being a second, third option. I mean, it gives him a little, uh, a little chance where he can, you know, make, make the most out of what he has. I mean, he can score. I mean, he can score. Now he's got to work on a defensive end a little bit better. He's got to get stronger um, physically. But uh, he's very, very talented. He's got a lot of skill. So if he leaves for another program, I can see that happening, um, and give himself the opportunity. But then the other thing now with this G League, you know, you're talking about this G League, and you know, everyone's saying, well, the G League's a great option. You know, why not go play in the G League for a year and then go in? And when you look at the NBA mock draft, there's two guys in the top five from the G League that are that are, are projected to go. And the funniest thing of all. Is two of them their brothers played for us at UNLV? Yep. When We look at Jay Green's brother, and you look at, uh, um, uh, Tomboy. Tomboy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You look at his brother. Yep. So those two guys, my 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 mind skipped me for a minute, but when you look at those two guys um, in the G League, now people are going to start to think like maybe G League is a place where I can go and I can develop even better than college so I don't have to go to class. I don't have to deal with, you know, colleges and travel. With college. I can play in the G League and get more exposure and play against better players. So, Bryce Hamilton might go in that direction. I think that might be a more of a possibility than transfer to a college. Joe, you're awesome. We appreciate it. You fired up for the Final Four? I'm finaled up. Finally, my two teams are going to be in there. You know, I wish I saw them play in December. You know I'm rooting for Baylor, but uh, I think it's going to be great. I really do. I think it will be a great tournament. And, you know, last but not least, how about Houston? Look who they had to play to get in. They didn't have to play anybody. They're the first teams in the Final Four, and they've beaten all double-digit seeds. I mean, you talk about Kelvin Sampson must be living great. Was that a parting shot? They had to beat Rutgers, my friend. Well, you know, yeah, your Rutgers, that's true. But Rutgers, 10, Syracuse, 11, Cleveland State, 15. Come on, man. They had it golden. I don't know, but the basketball guys, they're probably from Houston.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Joe. All right, take care. You know him, you love him. Joe Esposito here is College Basketball Insider on Cofield and Company. All right, we're going to get into the latest news with Deshaun Watson. I mean, today is another crazy, crazy day. Uh, the defense side has spoken. The the um, I'm talking about uh, Deshaun Watson's lawyer, Rusty Harden. Uh, the, the other dude, Busby, he's been speaking the last couple of days about the uh, Houston Police Department. So that's coming up in about 15 minutes.
0: Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. You know, the amazing thing is that basketball ring, here in Indiana, it's the same height as it is in New York City and every other place in this country. Basketball ring? You're telling the good folks out in Indiana in the
4: Hoosiers gym. About their basketball ring.
0: Hang in at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Colefield and Company. That's an oldie but goody goodie, courtesy of S.I.
1: America's toughest male, frankly a role model, Ted Cruz, and the basketball ring. The basketball rings are going back up around Las Vegas, are they not? I'm stoked or, or, about or as this, we, as we like to call them, the hoops or the rim. Not the basketball uh, no. ring. Uh,
2: no, excuse me. Um, Senator Swampland told me that it is a ring, so it's a ring, okay? okay. It's a ring. It's a basketball ring. I, I hate to even do this, but in the rule book, it actually is a ring. So I bet, I bet he was just reading his rule book at night and decided sure. to call it a basketball ring, right? Yeah, all over town, man. I mean, in fact, right outside my house, there is a little half court outside my house, and over the course of the pandemic – Shh, don't tell the Henderson authorities, but they forgot one basketball hoop when they pulled Ooh. everything down by Parks and Rec, and it stayed up all through the pandemic. Nice. I mean, there, literally, there, there was some private coach running drills with very large young men out there, because it was like the only hoop left. <laughs> well, guess what? Like a month ago, finally, someone ripped the damn thing down. It wasn't exactly a breakaway rim, and the thing got destroyed, like to the point where the backboard was gone, the ring was gone as well. The day that it became okay again, the day the governor said, you can put the hoops back up, we've got a new ring and a new backboard. And up at the park near me, they're all back up. And you know what? It's about time. I watched some sad kids from the apartment complex across the street from that park going over there and just shooting at the square on the backboard, dude. Just shooting at the square. There was no rim. There was no rim. And they were so desperate to just do something that – they put the, you know, now that we're going and shooting at that. So we know that transmission outdoors is very, very difficult to uh, to happen. So it's safe to put them back up. And, and God bless. Let kids get out there and uh, have some fun again.
1: I wanted to follow up on Joe's mention of uh, some Vegas, well, specifically UNLV ties in the NBA draft this year, you know, mock drafts. Uh, he was talking about uh, top five prospects. And in a mock draft, I'm looking at NBA Net. Yeah, Jalen Green, brother of Josh. Jay Green. I went to. There's too many Greens out there. Uh, Jalen Green, brother of Jay Green, uh, at least is mocked here to go to Orlando at four. And uh, Johnny Kaminga, who's the brother of uh, Joel Tomboy, uh, he's a top five pick as well. And they both have excelled in the G League. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the G League. If you're going to have more of the, uh, the prospects go. And, you know, Dacian Nix, who is was uh, prepping here, Vegas guy. Uh, He is mocked in the draft, at least this one, to be a – he'll he'll get picked according to this list, but not until the second round. So, I don't know. What do you think of the G League as an option? Would you just skip college basketball entirely, or is the experience worth it?
2: Why should kids go through the ringer of not getting paid, Uh the farce of class, the NCAA rules? I mean – There's no reason for a kid of the talent level of some of these kids, right? Right. Let's be really clear about that. You have to be at the talent level where you're going to go show out in G League in the first place. But that being said, if you're one of those kids, of course, go to the G, go get paid, get into the NBA system, get everybody seeing you there already. makes way more sense.
1: Or you could go play for Tom Izzo. You might learn life lessons, or he might be grabbing your arm and screaming at you on national TV because you missed one defensive play.
2: Hey, remember... It's, it's all about the kids. Mick Cronin said it's about these players. It's about the kids when the coaches are making $8 million a year.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company.
1: lot to get to on the legal front with Deshaun Watson on this Wednesday. Also, uh, Supreme Court case. Uh, Dan Lust is stepping up to uh, help us as our legal insider here on this uh, Wednesday. Does the Conduct uh, Detrimental Podcast. And how you doing? I'm good.
5: I, I feel like this day is just exploding on all things sports law. i uh, well, so, love to jump on with you guys.
1: I was going to say this is a dream day for you because I saw you basically live tweeting the Supreme Court dealing with the NCAA this morning. What were your impressions?
5: Um, I, I'll just say this. I thought it was going to be a really, like, I, we're excited about it because we're geeks and we're sports lawyers and we're, we're into this, so the actual issue isn't, like, name, image, and likeness on trial. It's like this really minute issue of whether athletes can get reimbursements on laptops and books. It's not really like the whole kit and caboodle, as they say, but I, I was pleasantly surprised. The justices really took a big-picture approach. They made it, we'll say, very user-friendly. So a lot of, you know, uh, will this ruin college football? It was almost like as if they were like shock jocks doing a show up there. It was a—it uh, was very entertaining.
1: Wasn't there a moment where one of the justices, you know, talking to the NCAA and the, and the representatives was like, Wait, you're basically suggesting this is going to break things, but you're bringing in billions of dollars and six thousand dollars to an athlete is going to break you?
5: Yeah, I mean it's it's the main point that we've all been like thinking forever, right? Like the the whole concept of paying athletes they're they're alleging them, and then say they, the NCAA said, oh, that'll ruin college sports, it'll ruin the, the amateurism model. But it's like you know you're dealing with literal, and I, I've made this joke. It's like you're like Scrooge McDuck jumping into, like, billions of dollars. Like, okay, you can't afford to give someone, like, a $6,000 reimbursement on a laptop. Like, give me a break. Uh-huh. So they called him out on it. They really – I mean, here, here's the thing. Like, I, I can tell you who I think is going to win or lose, and I, I do think the NCAA is going to lose here. But the Supreme Court's done this before. They've gone really hard at someone, and then they actually, like, take their position. So as much as they were, like, totally eviscerating the NCAA's lawyer today, there's still, like, a – bizarro world where, like, that's actually a good thing. It's a little complicated.
1: Do you still, and maybe you got it today? Do you still get pushback from I? I I'll say morons um, who want to stay. You know, let's you know these kids should appreciate what they have. It's I'm not watching anymore. Do you still hear that? Like, if they get it, they get a little piece of the pie. Uh, there, are, you know, regular Joe's out there who are like, I'm done with college sports.
5: Um, I do, but they're mostly like eggs on Twitter. They're not real people. Like, yeah. people are are at this point even afraid to put their name behind, like, hey, I support the NTA." which, guys, I think I've learned you're not really allowed to support Michael Rappaport anymore. Like, I guess I got, <laughs> you know, pseudo canceled for saying that. So, like, I I don't know. There's, there's certain things that are so, I'm going to say, just bipartisan issues. One of them, I guess, is hating Michael Rappaport, which uh, I was unaware of until yesterday, which I'm sure we'll get into. But, yeah, another one is athletes should get paid, you know. So it's a separate question and one that we're going to get into the weeds in the next couple months. But, like, how it's gonna happen, right? Does it do you take the money away from the, the athletic department to give it to the athletes? What does that say about like women's sports and men's sports? You know, those are really messy questions. I don't really no, I'm i fortunately not in the you know the 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 house and I have to come house representatives and have to come up with this federal bill. It's very complicated, but I think everyone's in agreement they should be paid. It's just a matter of how we're gonna do it.
1: He's at sports law lust up on Twitter. It's Dan Lust with us here in Cofield and company. All right, give us the latest on Deshaun Watson. I, I thought today was really weird. You got more accusers. Then Rusty Harden comes out, and he's like, hey, I've got a bunch of masseuses who say that Deshaun Watson is fine.
5: So here's here's my non-legal take on it, and I'll give you the, my, my legal sense of it. Right? Uh, you know, I, I can't – you know, I, I, I'd like to play down the middle, and I just like sometimes I just like to wait for the legal filings, but this case is being litigated before our eyes. I can't really avoid it. There is something inherently strange. This is from a human perspective – you know, hey, you know, people are saying, hey, there's 24 people coming, you know, coming and, and making these accusations after 24 people, you know, be wrong. And then somebody asked me yesterday, uh, literally, you know, isn't it strange that he has 24 different, you know, massage therapists that are, you know, using him over the course of a year. You know, he works for the, you know, the Texans could help him out why are there 24 different massage therapists. And I said, well, it's kind of odd. You know, he doesn't seem like he's using the same person more than once. It's kind of odd, but I don't know if we could read into it. And now, guys. We don't just have the 24, we have like 50. So independent of the allegations, there is something a little strange, just from a human perspective, why someone doesn't just have 50 massages, right? 50 different massage therapists, and this doesn't, I don't believe this includes anyone with the Houston Texans organization. So that part's a little weird, and I can't make sense of it from a human level, but legal level, guys, at the end of the day, this is a case, we're not not in criminal court yet, and we can explain when that might happen, but from a civil perspective, You know, it's the plaintiff's burden to prove her case. Is it weird that somebody has 50 massages from different people? Yeah, it's a little strange, but by no means does that cross the line of versus consent and non-consent. So that's still plaintiff's burden to bear at the end of the day.
1: Is this going to criminal court?
5: That's really the the big question. Um, So people, you know, kind of part and parcel. If it goes to criminal court, almost guaranteed a suspension. So Antonio Brown might have been able to fight off the suspension if it had just been that civil case. And I'm not sure if everyone knows this. That civil case that he had with the sexual assault, he's still kicking around in Florida. It hasn't resolved. He hasn't been found culpable or not, but he was suspended because he attacked a delivery driver in Florida and got hit with criminal charges. And once the criminal charges attached, that's when we knew his suspension was coming. Any Any team that was maybe a little bit interested, they got turned off right then and there. So if the DA takes the case, and there's a lot of Busby isms and uh, you know whatever whatever Tony Busby is cooking in Houston that might prevent this from being picked up by a DA's office. But if the DA picks it up, it's certainly a suspension. But I, I think uh, you know if I'm if I'm the DA's office, I'm the police department. I'm a little wary of this kind of uh, aroma that Tony Busby has created around this case. It hasn't it at all inspired public confidence in the case. And as we know, on um, you know as attorneys. The DA is not going to take the case unless they're confident they can get a conviction. So that's why when you hear me talking about Tony Busby online, he's not doing anyone any favors, right? This case isn't being litigated on the facts. It's right now being litigated in the Court of Public Opinion because of Tony Busby.
1: Try to get in his mind on what he's doing with uh, now further accusations and trying to push away from the Houston
5: Police Department. Um, I wish I could. Uh, <laughs> I don't really understand a lot of the things that Tony Busby does. And. You know, give the guy credit. If you, you know, read up on his bio, he settled, according to him, $2 billion of cases in his life. And, uh, you know, if he's working off a contingency, that's a lot of money. There are a lot of zeros in there. So Tony Busby obviously does something well. The thing that uh, people that are uh, make that much money, the legal profession, we call them rainmakers, usually what they're good at is bringing clients into the firm. So as we've seen, Busby is very good at bringing different people, you know, different accusers into his firm. And for the most part, for one accuser they're all under his uh, his umbrella so i i can't really you know unless he's unless this is just tony Busby, i don't know the guy but he seems to have a knack for just saying one thing and then doing the opposite right i'm not going to litigate the case in the media he did it uh there's a case uh, oh the case is pending with the houston police department just kidding i'm not giving it to him because i have a conflict of issue so and then he goes i don't even know who owns the texas is it cal mcnair or hal mcnair and the guy lives in houston he lives on the same street as the McNair family, as is well reported. He obviously knows that. So mm. he, he has this problem of constantly overpromising and under-delivering. And in a case, truthfully, guys, that comes down to the credibility of his clients, what subjectively was going through their mind during the course of this massage, right? It's a he-said-she-said said issue. You, you, uh, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but, like, your attorney shouldn't be having their own credibility issues. That's your mouthpiece when it comes to trial. And if your own attorney, that the jury doesn't believe him, if you're ready poison the jury pool, I mean that's very problematic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for the victims' case that this case gets sent to the DA's office to, uh, we'll say, remove themselves, extricate themselves from the aroma that is Tony Busby.
1: We had a much less serious case play out. A he said, he said. Uh, how did Michael Rappaport v. Barstool turn
5: out? Uh, we will say it's trending towards barstool's favor. Uh, we had a decision yesterday. Uh, right now there's two cases. It's comedian, uh, Michael Rappaport used to work for barstool, 2017 to 2018. Uh, and then right around the time of his firing, this shirt popped up that kind of looks like that Roger Goodell clown shirt that we as sports fans know, except it was Michael Rappaport. And it had like a little bit of a cold sore or something that maybe resembled herpes on his chin. And, uh, yeah, definitely a less serious case than the Watson case. But I will say it's no laughing matter. Uh, similar to what happened in oral argument today in, in uh, Austin v. this attorney that was dealing with Dave Portnoy uh, absolutely eviscerated uh, on the stand. Portnoy I took him to town. So that case, uh, yeah, the defamation case has been dismissed. Um, that's uh, defamation relating to this, this uh, shirt. It doesn't definitely pass, uh, you know, paint Rappaport in a good life. But the breach of contract case is still going forward. So that's about wrongful termination, whether he was let go under uh, improper pretenses from Barstool. So we're not going to hear the end of it. And, guys, maybe, possibly, we get Dave Portnoy on a witness stand uh, at trial. That would be right. fantastic.
1: Well, if he's feeling emboldened right now, I would love to see him follow up. This is uh, Portnoy from Barstool on his uh, – He threw a couple of shots at the Westgate here in town. The Westgate claims "Hey, they have a uh, – a trademark on good teams win, great teams cover. And Portnoy did a video, and he's like, there's no way they came up with that. Have we seen anything more on that? Is uh, is Dave going to keep moving forward with this one and, and go into a legal
5: wrangling here with the Westgate? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the, the truth is, if you're not hearing anything, that means that, uh, I mean, either A, right, he hasn't violated their trademark again. And they keep, if you're reading the letters with Westgate, they keep issuing warnings on top of warnings on top of warnings. So I think when I read that letter, it was the third time that Barcel has used it i mean if they got a valid trademark on it that's at least someone at the trademark office telling you that they came up with it so right but portnoy says a lot of things right portnoy is, is definitely a very smart guy but uh you know just because he says something doesn't really mean it to be true but that said if, if uh, portnoy is not using that term right like i think portnoy is known to poke the bear a little bit uh-huh. if he's not using it i'm gonna i'm gonna gather that someone probably got in his ear and said hey let, let's not say that anymore
1: Talking to Dan Loss, Legal Insider. Uh, how'd your thing with uh, a thing? How did how did your seminar go with uh, William and Mary today?
5: Um, it went very well. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about how not to handle the deposition, like uh, <laughs> the lawyer tried to do with Dave Portnoy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's truthfully, guys, it's just such a fascinating time to be in sports law. Like the Watson story is, you know, uh, from what from what I do is an A level story. It's just everyone wants to know, and there's always new developments. And then truthfully, on you know, on the NCA versus Alton side, we haven't had a college sports case get to the Supreme Court in literally 40 years. So this argument about amateurism that the NCAA has put forward, it hasn't been tested in you know, some people's lifetime. So, yeah, these two stories going on at the same time. I don't know if you saw, I'm speaking to UPenn, I'm speaking to all these different schools, because nice. all these law students are just so fascinated academically on what these lawyers are doing in these various cases. It's it's really a great time for the industry.
1: Last minute here with Dan Les. Let's open it up to uh, law in general. I don't know if you saw it, or you saw the clips of it, but uh, what a bizarro interview with the Florida rep, Matt on um, with Tucker Carlson. I'd have to imagine with uh, what he was saying, and seemed to be implicating himself in uh, other areas that an attorney for Matt Gates
5: must have been like, "What are you doing?" Uh, or the attorney for Matt Gates maybe properly, maybe improperly, didn't advise him because that is a train wreck of an interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I I don't know. It's I, I don't know. Truthfully, I I don't know why you would go on and have that interview. I don't know what good comes of it, especially right. with someone like Tucker Carlson. Like, I don't know what the risk reward calculus was. But uh, that's, that seems to be one that, like, you would just, you know, sit, sit down and let your lawyers do the talking for you. As once upon a time, probably someone should have told Deshaun Watson, hey, don't put out any statements, right? Just, just be quiet. That's why you hire lawyers, right? That's why you hire them to be your mouthpiece. so You don't say something and do something that could harm your case even further. I don't know what benefit would have come out of this. So, yeah, a, li- a little baffling.
1: Uh, tell people about the podcast.
5: Yes, the podcast is conduct detrimental. Uh, you know, in the, in the nature of uh, all things sports law, we have on tomorrow the Commissioner of the MAC conference, M double A C, to talk about name, image, and likeness, and uh, how uh, this Supreme Court ruling can impact how college basketball players are going to get paid. So, yeah, uh, t- 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 seeming to attract some pretty big guests. We had Brian Windhorst on ESPN a couple weeks ago. So, nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, conduct detrimental. The sports law podcast, and I am at Sports Law lust on Twitter and Instagram. Dan,
1: that was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I love that he said attracting big guests. Perfect, right? Big Brian Windhorst. I feel like BBW has—I don't know what's happened. I, don't, I feel like he's not front and center like he used to be as much. Is he okay? Well, there's not as much
2: LeBron to talk about. You don't need Brian not? Windhorst if there's not as much LeBron. He, he's hurt. He's been out for weeks.
1: He's on our dream list, isn't he, Ari? What happened to that top ten hot list? Hold on. Hold on. Let's hit the restart button. I feel like I just went down the
0: harassment path. I'm out. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.